Ho, ho, ho. Welcome to Paper Team, a <laughs> podcast about television writing, becoming a TV writer, and me doing a center voice. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Jelly Old Saint Nick Watson at underscore NJ Watson. And today is our 25th episode and our last episode of the year. So we decided to have our very own Christmas slash holiday special. Oh my God, we've done 25 episodes 25. already. We're so old, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> First off, let's talk about Christmas specials, since, you know, in America especially, they're so prevalent. So many shows have had their own very special Christmas episodes. So, Nick, what do you think constitutes this iconic, classic Christmas TV episode in the States? Well, I think there's definitely a few tropes that a lot of these Christmas episodes and Christmas specials touch on. There's always this notion of the Christmas spirit, and I feel like that always ties into charity and giving and family, for one, definitely. It's often contrasted by the dark side of Christmas, people who are all alone and sad on Christmas Eve, things like that. Depression and yeah. also like ghost of Christmas past and uh-huh. elements of the past. Also this thing of people missing flights and not making it home for Christmas, getting stuck in the airport, stuck somewhere they can't be with their families. All that, yeah, exactly. And then tied in with that, if they are there, there's this whole family conflict and fights with like relatives. And maybe there's a reason you don't see them every other day of the year kind of thing. This year especially. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. It's also, I find, very capitalism-centric. It's all about Christmas presents and sales and having enough money and getting good enough gifts for one another and people's presence being revealed early. It's very centered around what you can monetarily, financially provide for each other. And that being the representation of giving versus the spirit of Christmas, I think it epitomizes that aspect of like, you want to give and that means a toy. What's that Schwarzenegger like movie where he is trying to like get his kid this... Jingle um, all the way? <laughs> movie? Yeah, sure. It's an iconic and, Christmas movie. And often that ends up being the messages. People are trying so hard to like buy all these things for their family but at the end family is really what matters and they don't need presents blah 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 there's also this notion of a christmas miracle which comes up a lot oh yeah um, which i feel is maybe a little more tied into the spirituality side oh for sure i mean it's all tied to either this deus ex machina helping you forward or some kind of self-realization about either your past or your family or who you are or Mm -hmm. what christmas means and in my mind i think a lot of the christmas specials are by definition about christmas but i think there's a certain self-centered idea of Obviously, Christmas is a Christian holiday, mm-hmm. and yet there are so many values in America that are not Christian values necessarily, or from other religions and so all on. All kind of bled together into this weird Exa- capitalistic <laughs> exactly, spiritual mess. Exactly. Yeah. But I find it interesting that virtually all Christmas, or like holiday, I should say, holiday TV specials or TV episodes in America are still about Christmas, and very few about Hanukkah or even Kwanzaa, you know? I think the epitome of what people think of as a Christmas story, it's not television, but it's a wonderful life. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's the guy who's so down because he doesn't have any money and the angel comes and saves him from committing suicide. Like It's all very dark too, but it's also, and then everyone comes together and all that kind of thing. It's about finding the true meaning of Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And also that there's something beyond just your own kind of self-centered needs. I think the whole like ghost of Christmas past is exactly that. Uh-huh. It's not just about your needs, but really about giving and sharing. I mean, really, Nick, uh, this is what this podcast is all about, really. It's all about giving <laughs> and sharing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so there's a whole list of these Christmas episode tropes you can find on tvtropes.org as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a full one. It's kind of crazy that they did a whole Christmas episode page on TV tropes. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, there's multiple full Wikipedia lists of all the Christmas episodes of American TV shows. The list is gigantic. It seems very culturally important here more so than other places. I would say the one other Anglophone spot where Christmas episodes are key are across the pond in the British Isles. The difference is 
is that I feel like over there, it is really about airing new programming on Christmas. You have really these Christmas specials that are meant to be aired on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve on the 24th or the 25th. And that's generally original programming that is meant to be aired for that day. Versus here, you have those Christmas episodes that we're going to be talking about today. A lot of them are obviously being aired prior to that Christmas hiatus. And then you have on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, you do have those kind of historic reruns of those classic Christmas specials. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of programming outside of the normal season, specifically for right. a Christmas event. It's event programming kind of thing instead of a regular run with a theme to the episode. One interesting thing as well with British Christmas specials, and this is in the TV Trips page as well, is that they tend to take a more depressing tone. They angle for that sadder side of Christmas. The trope is called Soapland Christmas, named because of the British soap operas like EastEnders <laughs> and all that kind of thing, tend to have really sad, tragic stuff happen in them on their Christmas episodes. Not uncommon for long-running character to die in a Christmas episode or a disastrous wedding day where everything goes wrong and the wedding doesn't occur, a disastrous birth where the baby or both the baby and the mother die in the process. Like, Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) That's happened twice on two Downton Abbey Christmas specials. I don't know if you ever watched the show, Nick. But I think one and a longtime character who's about to get married to this other character dies in a horrible car crash. Oh, man. And that's like the way to end the season. Isn't that just uplifting? I mean, really, it just puts a smile on your face. Yeah. Uh, that's and, just the British temperament, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, I mean, I will say that the Doctor Who Christmas specials are a little bit more upbeat. I think that's yeah. because it's more family programming and it's more about uniting people together. How successful are those specials, especially in the States? There's this institution of these classic Christmas specials that have been playing every year for the last 50 years and they've just been rerun and they're still incredibly popular. They still outperform current run shows in the ratings. And so that's stuff like the Charlie Brown Christmas special and also the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I was going to ask you, do you think a lot of it is just like people put it in the background because there's nothing else to put on TV? Mm. FX is doing another Simpsons marathon with mm-hmm. 600 episodes and the first one I think was so popular because people could just like put the channel on their TV and go about their day or, mm-hmm. you know, do their laundry and why not and still have that in the background i think there's some element of it to that i don't know how closely everyone is watching every time given that they do it every year but i do think it just becomes a tradition for people and i know a lot of families that have a special movie or a special tv episode or something like that that they all get together as a family and they watch together every year even if they've seen it for the last 20 years it's become part of their family tradition what's your christmas tradition of the content i feel like i watch a lot of home alone i want to say or (laughs) it's die hard for me die hard classic classic (laughs) christmas classic Christmas movie. But yeah, since you brought up Rudolph, also Charlie Brown, actually, let's dig into this more classic Christmas specials. Mm -hmm. Rudolph, the Red-Nosed Reindeer, aired on the first time in 1964 on NBC, and at the time it was sponsored by GE. And as you brought up, Nick, every year since then, it has aired on American TV, making it the longest-running Christmas TV special in history. And in fact, in the 70s, it transitioned to CBS, which brought up an HD version 10 years ago, just about. But since we talked about the fun Christmas subject of copyright, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. So did you know, Nick, that you will know in a moment, the program kind of lives in this gray area of copyright law. And that's because when the recording was originally published, the date of the copyright, which was written in Roman numerals for legal reasons, was accidentally listed as the year 1164 instead of 1964 (laughs) because they forgot an M like in the middle of the Roman numerals. And this mistake was actually not corrected with following edits and to this day still remains on the TV prints. So on paper, this error in the copyright could be considered substantial enough to invalidate it 
putting a large portion of that special, not directly tied to the songs or the story, which are copyrighted separately, but most of the rest of that would be in public domain. So if you think about it, that actually explains a lot of the work in popular culture that you've seen involving Rudolph. And I'm not talking about parody or whatever it is. I'm talking about specifically work in commercials like AT&T or Nissan, which are likely a byproduct of those weird kind of copyright status because they don't necessarily need the authorization to use those characters versus airing it. Because I think CBS still asks permission versus mm. AT&T, which doesn't, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. Do we know where that all stemmed from originally? Like, isn't Rudolph just kind of folklore? thing or was it someone's original story well i believe it was an original poem which was then adapted into a song which oh. was then adapted into this music uh, special and so really i'm talking about the actual character clay and artwork that was put into the show was copyrighted separately from the songs interesting in a similar vein to that there's the charlie brown christmas which uh, i guess is being beaten by rudolph uh, for the longest <laughs> running by one year exactly i because, win <laughs> yeah <laughs> it started in 1965 on cbs until about 2001 wow. where it's now running on ABC every year. And so that is an animated tradition. Rudolph was claymation or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so Charlie Brown was cell-drawn animation. This one, I feel, hits the Christian notes harder, which is funny because the setup for it doesn't sound like it does. It sounds like it's almost in an edgy kind of way criticizing Christmas and whatever because this is one of the synopses. It's Christmas season and Charlie Brown is depressed. He confides in Linus, citing his dismay with the over-commercialization of Christmas and his inability to grasp what Christmas is all about. Wow, Charlie Brown is such a hipster. Really. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and then the kids are putting on the yearly Christmas play. And so he's desperately trying to find out what Christmas actually means. Like we said before, the search for the true meaning of Christmas. And the resolution of all of this is we talked about an exposition episode last week. <laughs> but Linus just straight up quotes a Bible verse at oh him my God. about the birth of Christ. But it includes a couple of those classic phrases that you hear now spread throughout popular culture. Like, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men from the Bible. And they've now been kind of spread about as just general holiday cheer and general quotes. So it's interesting. Yeah, I guess Charles Schultz was actually fairly deeply Christian, the creator of, of Peanuts. And so he, so I guess that was the message he was going for was differentiating the spiritual Christian roots of Christmas from how commercialized and capitalized it's been. So that's a little bit more of a traditional religious take on Christmas, I suppose. Right. But I guess that kind of resonates with America when it has this this undertone. Yeah, this ground in Christian values especially in the Midwest and places like that and what's his name being elected maybe people are (laughs) I mean to be fair the uh, he shall not be named (laughs) <laughs> the, the only thing I remember about the Charlie Brown Christmas special is Charlie Brown playing on that piano and the people dancing. Yeah, uh, I think that's in the most iconic moment of the special, and that has mm. nothing to do with uh, exactly. With, with I mean, it, actually, one of the most long-lasting things from it has been the music. It's right. very like jazzy kind of score, and I think it influenced a lot of people in pop culture. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Moving away from those very old specials, no offense to people (laughs) who've enjoyed them over the years, what are some of your own favorite Christmas episodes that you've seen over the years? Well, everyone's going to be very surprised for me to say The Simpsons. Uh, What? Wait. (laughs) Wait, you're like The Simpsons? Who knew? Uh, Well, I mean, it's funny because the very first full-length Simpsons episode was a Christmas special or a Christmas-themed episode. It was meant to be episode eight, actually, but they pulled it forward. So it aired on December 17th, 1989 which means it's almost exactly one year older than me. My birthday is December 16th. Wow, it's three days older than me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, we're so old now. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're as old as The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> 
So basically, the premise of it is that Mr. Burns has cut all of the Christmas bonus to the workers at the plant. Marge has spent all of the money they were saving all year to erase a tattoo that Bart got as a present for her for Christmas. <laughs> so they have no money for presents. And so Homer, not wanting to admit that he doesn't have any money either, takes a secret job as a mall Santa to try and pay for the money. And then he works all week at the mall there. And he's only earned $13 because they take out Social Security and the cost of his training and uniform and everything. So he's at a loss. It's Christmas Eve. And he goes to try and gamble this $13 at the dog track. And he actually takes Bart along with him because Bart thinks it's the last chance they have to save Christmas for the Simpson family. So he places all of his money on this one dog called Santa's Little Helper. It got swapped out at last minute with another dog. And Bart's like, this is a sign. We have to bet everything on here. It's going to save our Christmas. The dog comes dead last. And Homer and Bart are leaving despondent when they see the owner of Santa's Little Helper kind of throwing him out and kicking him away because he lost again. And so they take in the dog and they take him back home. And Homer has to admit to Marge that he has no money for Christmas either. He didn't have any presents. He lost it all at the dog track. But they've adopted this dog and it comes in and licks everyone's faces and that brings them together as a family and it's really sweet. Wow, I feel like that in of itself, I think that episode encapsulates everything about The Simpsons really because it's such a takedown on American Christmas uh-huh. with him gambling the money away <laughs> yeah. just to buy some presents and then Bart getting a tattoo as a mm-hmm. gift. Like what? Yeah, like what? how edgy is that for the time? Like yeah. a child getting a tattoo. It's Damn. really funny. Yeah. So that's obviously a complete classic and they didn't try to redo another Simpsons episode and until season seven because they were worried about repeating themselves and that's also one of my favorite episodes <laughs> excuse me I know, I know the irony there was one called marge be not proud that was episode 11 of season 7 1995 this is the second christmas episode they ever did and that's the classic bone storm episode where Bart shoplifts the game from right. the mall. He gets caught by the security guy. He goes over to Millhouse's place and tries to play the game, etc. Mm-hmm. He's jealous of what all of his other friends have. Marge is disappointed. Like, where did it go wrong raising Bart? Eventually, towards the resolution, Marge catches Bart sneaking out with something in the store again. He's like, oh my God, he's shoplifting again. Pulls him aside. And it's actually a picture that he had taken to fix the family photo that he had messed up earlier. And that was his Christmas present to her. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of brings them together. I still remember... I I think it's in that episode where Marge kisses goodnight to Bart and Lisa, mm-hmm. and then Bart thinks that he's now too old for that, so she just leaves him to go to sleep by himself, and it's like a really sad moment, because you're I like, think oh. So. Yeah, they had some kind of like deep moments in, in wow. those, those things. Hold on, I have a single tear in my eye right now. <laughs> <laughs> but going off the Mad Graining bandwagon, mm-hmm. I have my own Christmas special episode in that genre from Futurama, which is another Mad Graining creation. And the episode I'm talking about is the very first Christmas episode of Futurama called Xmas Story. And it's called Xmas and a Christmas because in the future, Christmas is actually called Xmas. Let's be real. And in <laughs> fact, it's celebrated with palm trees since, you know, obviously pine trees have gone extinct. <laughs> Thank you, uh, new president. In the episode, Fry decides to like venture into the city to buy Leela a gift since as she's uh, an orphan, uh, Xmas is such a sad time for her. One of the themes we've been bringing up over and over again. But the thing is is Fry has to rush against the clock because once sundown hits, he may be killed by murderous robotic Santa Claus voiced <laughs> on the show by John Goodman. And the story of the murderous robotic Santa Claus, if you don't know in the show, is because the friendly robot company developed a robotic version of Saint Nick themselves to determine who was being naughty and who was being nice. 
But the problem is, due to a programming error, the Jolly Robotic Santa became a mass murderer because his standards were way too high, <laughs> since basically everyone had been naughty, so everybody must die. The interesting thing about this episode is that this is actually one of the first stories that Matt Groening and David X. Coyne, the one of the co-creators, came up for the show besides the pilot. And this episode, as you may or may not tell by the content, was very controversial, which actually wasn't really expected for the writers. And when they pitched it to Fox initially, the network was concerned that advertisers would pull out because it would find the episode, the content of the episode too shocking for the 7 p.m. time slot. And a fun fact, given that the sundown and the time clock as part of the episode is a clock in the episode and it hits 7 p.m., on the show, i.e. right when the show is meant to be aired in real life. When they made a sequel to that episode featuring Robot Santa again, it was delayed for a full year before being broadcast and aired at a later time slot because, again, Fox thought that Al's being kicked in the nuts was a little bit too controversial. <laughs> so it's this idea that maybe you shouldn't be featuring iconic Christmas characters on primetime network TV in America, allegedly. Apparently Strange. That's I mean, certainly people are very up in arms about the representations of the things that they hold sacred. I know South Park has copped flack many times for some of their religious representations. One of the most iconic South Park episodes is Mr. Hanky the Christmas Boo, which we should not be singing for legal reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to take a look at some drama as well? Oh, for sure. One of my favorite, actually, Christmas episodes of all time is from this little show called Buffy. If you've heard about it. it. And the episode is called Amends, and it's from the third season, and it was both written and directed by Mr. Joss Whedon. And in this mythology-heavy episode, we all have a story about Buffy's angel problem, specifically the fact that he's been troubled by visions of his past in the form of the first evil. If you've seen the show, you would know that the first evil is actually the big bad of the final Buffy season. So this was done four years before the final season. So they already knew what they were going to do back then, I guess. But anyway, Angel is heavily considering suicide throughout the episode because of these very grisly visions and haunting of these ghosts of people he killed in the past. One of the most iconic moments of the episode is that it ends on this surprising, almost contrived happy ending involving Angel. He's a vampire. He's able to go outside in the middle of the day because the sun is being covered by a freak snowstorm. Keep in mind, the show takes place in Southern California. <laughs> Nick, when you go outside right now, is it snowing over here? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm going to need a plow to get out. <laughs> plow, Mr. Plow. <laughs> it's definitely not snowing. But so this out of nowhere snowfall convinces Angel that maybe he should live another day. And this whole thing really drives home the overall Christmas theme. Over the years, there's been a lot of discussion about this miraculous Christmas or your like Christian snowfall that prevents the sun from rising and killing Angel. And the reason behind all of that on a thematic level was talked about by Joss Whedon himself. And I will quote what he said about it. And so he said, the snow in amends was good. Was it God? Well, I'm an atheist. But it's hard to ignore the idea of a Christmas miracle here. The fact is, the Christian mythos has a powerful fascination to me, and it bleeds into my storytelling. Redemption, hope, purpose, Santa, these are all important to me. Whether I believe in an afterlife or some universal structure or not, I certainly do not mind a strictly Christian interpretation being placed on this episode by those who believe that. I just hope it is not limited to that. 
So there you have it. It is clearly at least Christmas, but definitely Christian maybe a symbol. But I think in any art form, you need to like go beyond just the basic layer of the story. It feels like there's a few little homages there as well in terms of someone considering suicide on Christmas. So that's got your It's a Wonderful Life element to it. His, name, sure. his name is literally Angel. And there's always, mm-hmm. you know, the angel who comes and saves that guy. And then visions of his past, like mm-hmm. in uh, like Dickens' A Christmas Carol. There's a lot of those elements. I think uh, almost they're part of the mythos now. They're so iconic, those books. And even you, you brought up It's a wonderful life. I think those have entered the ethos of American culture and they, they echo through the content of those episodes. That's kind of crazy. But what about you? So this is one I haven't seen for a little while. I just remember that a lot of the elements hit hard a lot of these Christmas story tropes. And so a show that I really like and was part of my teen upbringing in the way that Buffy was for you is Dawson's Creek. Ooh. It's an episode called Merry Mayhem. Essentially, this is one of those things where everything that can go wrong on Christmas did go wrong. So pretty much every character in the season at the time finds an excuse or a reason to be in the Leary house, Dawson's house, and his family for Christmas dinner. People had missed flights out of there, premature romantic overtures, lack of any other friends who aren't Dawson, etc. So every character and all of their families are all crammed into this one house. And then all the conflict starts bubbling up. Pacey has this new job and his expensive gifts make his brother kind of question what he's actually doing for his new job. Joey and Dawson's connection causes issues with Dawson's new relationship. And Joey and her boyfriend, there's that that romantic tension bubbles up again. Dawson has a director he's working with called Todd who becomes a drunk asshole. So I guess he's like that uncle at at Christmas or Thanksgiving, (laughs) the drunk uncle. uncle. Another one of the characters airs everyone's dirty laundry, all the secrets come out and she ends up crashing Pacey's BMW into the house, etc. By the end of the episode, someone goes off to rehab, there's a handful of breakups, and basically the worst possible result for a Christmas dinner with everyone. It is actually kind of touching and heartbreaking. It's a good episode, but it really hits all of those. Anything that can go wrong in a Christmas tropey way will go wrong. I was going to ask you if it was a bowl episode, but then you said that there's a BMW that crashes into a house. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's like just outside. I don't think they go too much outside of the house. But That's funny. So what about some other traditions and religions and stuff? How much are they represented outside of Christianity? I'd be remiss if I did not mention one of my also other all-time holiday episode, and that is the best Christmaca ever <laughs> from the OC. As we said, there's very few holidays besides Christmas really represented usually, and especially Hanukkah, I feel like, is one of the lesser represented kind of like major holidays out there. And in fact, did you know, 2016, fun fact, Hanukkah this year coincides with Christmas Day. The first day of Hanukkah is Ooh. on December 25th, which usually happens only maybe a couple of times every 100 years. It's a true so Christmas. It's a true, <laughs> true Christmas miracle. Fun fact, originally the writers thought of naming it Hanimus instead of Christmas. But uh, I wouldn't think it had the same ring to it. It would <laughs> definitely not. If you don't really know much about the OC, basically one of the main characters, Seth, is from an interfaith household. His mother, Christine, is Catholic and his dad, Sandy, is Jewish. And Seth, or I should say Josh Schwartz, the creator, kind of created this holiday symbolically. Now, in the show, Seth created it for his parents, combining, obviously, Christmas and Hanukkah. And you have this quote from Seth to Ryan in the episode, the first episode where he presents the made-up holiday to his friend. And he says, quote, So what's it going to be, huh? Your menorah or your candy cane? Mm? Christmas or Hanukkah? Ah, don't worry about it, buddy. Because in this house... You don't have to choose. Let me introduce you to a little something I'd like to call Chrismaka. <laughs> wow. Uh, this just blew every uh, listener's mind, <laughs> especially those who already knew about the episode. The reason why Josh Schwartz felt it was important to combine those holidays was expressed in an interview he did about the holiday. And I'll quote him again because he said, 
Well, it was more of a reflection of this idea of going to USC and being surrounded by all these kids from Newport Beach who were water polo players and these very blonde girls who only wanted to date them. I felt very much like an outsider. Even trying to talk about Hanukkah with some of them was like coming from an alien planet and talking about life there. The show is really about outsiders. Ryan was the most obvious outsider, as was Seth. The idea of a mixed, half-Jewish, half-Christian family in Newport would also contribute to the coin outsider family status. That part of the identity was always very important. Seth coined a holiday that would both celebrate and underline his outsider status in Newport. That led us to Chrismica. Now, one of the important symbols of Chrismica is this thing called a yamaclaus, which is a combination of a kippah or yamaclaw and a Santa hat. And I actually got mine years and years ago from this website called the OC Insider Shop. And if you don't know, back in 2004, wow, 12 years ago now, Fox created this online OC fan club called the OC Insider, where you could register for $25 a year and you would get a bunch of magazines. You would get a bunch of wallpapers and posters and not wallpapers, just posters and exclusive access to this website with interviews with the creators, the writers, the actors, and you could post on the board and, and talk to them and so on. And I was one of the members of the OC Insider back in 2004. So exclusive. Uh, I'm so old, man. Wow. Through that, you could access their exclusive shop and you can get clothes worn on screen by the actors and whatever. But one of the biggest pieces of merchandise, obviously, was this Yamaclaus, which I think now is an unofficial version of it being sold. But I've got the OG Yamaclaus. Keep us slash Santa hat sitting on my handmade Zoidberg head. It's probably the uh, nerdiest thing I've ever heard anyone say in my entire life. Wow, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, Yamaclaw from the OC sitting on a Zoidberg. Uh, from your exclusive OC fan club in 2004. 2004. Well, that's less nerdy as it is depressing. <laughs> Isn't that the theme of are gonna, Christmas? Are you going to be alone at Christmas, Alex? Oh. Do you need some family? <laughs> well, I have my Zoidberg figurine, so yeah. it's all good. So speaking of alternative Christmas traditions, I think it would be a remiss to not mention the glorious thing that is Festivus. If you're unaware, this is coined from an episode of Seinfeld called The Strike in 1997. And basically what it was is George Costanza's dad, Frank, has created this alternate or parody holiday to Christmas. He calls it Festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> Funnily enough, this actually comes from the writer of this episode. I think Dan O'Keefe was his name. His family had a similar tradition. It was called Festivus. They had a few of these things. Some of them have been changed slightly or elaborated upon, but this is based off of something that someone's actual family did. And now it's become this huge cultural thing for Seinfeld fans and people who want an alternative to Christmas. The things that define Festivus are there's the Festivus pole instead of the Christmas tree. It's basically an aluminum pole. Like he says he enjoys its strength to weight ratio and he finds tinsel distracting. <laughs> There is the feats of strength, which is basically wrestling, and Festivus doesn't end until you have pinned the head of the household. <laughs> like it just keeps going until you find a way to wrestle down and pin the very physical down. holiday. There's also the airing of grievances. <laughs> he starts off by saying, "I got a lot of problems with you people, and you're all going to hear about it." It's basically everyone just tells them all the ways they've disappointed them throughout the year. <laughs> so it's like the anti-Thanksgiving, exactly. <laughs> and also they have this thing of Festivus miracles, which are basically just easily explainable events so it's very much <laughs> poking fun at all of these traditions in other holidays but it's a nice alternative one of my friends back in australia actually celebrates festivus every year and he's a oh, father right. and so he brings a festivus pole for his kids and has the airing of grievances and all that kind of stuff so how often do the kids complain about not having any gifts <laughs> <laughs> i think they come to a compromise uh. <laughs> 
Now that we've looked at Christmas specials, uh, since this is also our last show of the year, let's take a look back at some of our favorite things from 2016. Roll the clip show. Roll the clip. Yeah, I was going to say this is like a Christmas clip show. (laughs) So lazy. First off, let's talk about our favorite shows. Nick, what is your favorite show of 2016? Favorite show altogether? Well, I mean, specifically, let's go with drama first. What's your favorite drama of the past year? Well, I'm not going to say this is necessarily the best drama, but my favorite drama this year, I think, was The Get Down, the Baz Luhrmann show on Netflix. I just think it was very new, very fun and inventive. I think it's one of the best ensemble casts I've seen in any show. They're all incredible. Many of them were almost completely unknown, as well as some heavy hitters there to back them up. So yeah, just very fun, kind of like great music, great art direction. It just looks amazing. And just a very cool story. It's very different storytelling that I haven't seen for a while. It's also one of the largest budgets, I believe, on TV. Um, Although now we've got stuff like The Crown, which is $10 million yeah, an episode. Also, so. But the difference is The Get Down wasn't meant to be that expensive. Yeah, they did not budget for what Get Down cost per episode. Uh, truly amazing. My favorite one hour this year has to be The People versus O.J. Simpson, the American Crime Story mini series, question mark, anthology series on FX. Really, I thought that was... I'm not the biggest true crime person, but as you may remember from my many legal comments throughout the past 25 episodes, I do love my legal dramas, and that was one of the best ones I've ever seen. I love the cast. Sterling K. Brown was tremendous in the show. Great Um, name, too. Sterling K. Brown, yeah. yeah. And then one of the episodes, which I'll mention in a moment, is one of my favorite episodes of the year as well. On top of the American Crime Story, I'll just briefly mention Brain Dead, which is a show not many people watch, but is equally as relevant now, especially after this election. From the creators of The Good Wife, it was a CBS summer show. The best way to pitch it is it's Mars Attack meets House of Cards. (laughs) And it's basically about a bunch of bug aliens who crash and invade Washington, D.C. and enter people's brains and make people more extreme than they are. So you have Tony Shalhoub, who's like one of those... Extreme. Yeah. Not not the (laughs) the extreme. Not the the surfer kind. (laughs) They make them more radical, dude. Anyway. Yeah. Not the surfer kind. Extreme liberal versus extreme conservative. Yeah, it's great. But uh, what about comedy? I think hands down the most new and groundbreaking comedy this year is Atlanta, Donald Glover. When I first heard about it, I was like, look, I love Donald Glover. He was great in community. I like his rap, all that kind of thing. But like, is he a writer? And then I watched this and I'm like, yes, yes, he is. He's incredible. It's just so fresh. It's so real. It's so raw. And it's just very different. I kind of think it's like in the same way that Girls was a little bit revolutionary for comedy at the time, it's it's that kind of freshness to it as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like FX is definitely one of the best networks currently, just oh, because yes. <laughs> of how many awesome shows they have. Atlanta, to me, is also pretty much the best half hour that I've seen, uh, at least scripted half hour that I've seen this year, hands down. Special props, though, to The Good Place on NBC by Mike Schur from Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just for doing something very different mm-hmm. and new and fun with network comedy that's not just another workplace or family sitcom. Yeah, it has the whole mythology to back it up, which I think gives it another deeper layer than traditional network comedy. Totally. All right. Well, let's delve a little deeper into what about a favorite episode specifically from any show this year? For drama, as I said, it has to come from American Crime Story. And it is the, I think, Emmy award winning episode, Marsha, 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 which gave this really insightful look into Marsha, the prosecutor from the O.J. Simpson trial. And it was really this kind of unique 
perspective because one thing I love about American Crime Story is that every episode is from a different person's perspective and different point of view. And this was one of the most anticipated perspectives, I want to say, from the season because the prosecutor, Marsha, was so reviled at the time, especially there was this whole thing about her looks and her haircut and, and everything around that that was, you know, very sexist and misogynistic. And so I was really... Very relevant to, say, and, the Hillary Clinton race. You know, yeah, kind of exactly. But like it came even before that mm-hmm. and it was just like so relevant to life in 2016 when it was made in the... Well, it wasn't made in the 90s, but the, the original case was in the 90s. Mm. And I just thought it was a poignant performance by Sarah Paulson as well. Yeah, she and, brought her to um, the Emmys with her and I think got her name put on the Emmy that she won for a performance or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's just pretty much my favorite episode of this year. For drama for me, it's got to be from The Black Mirror, which is an impeccable series. There was an episode called San Junipero, which I had heard all the hype of beforehand. I'm like, it can't possibly live up to this hype. It did. I'm still thinking about it. It's just truly incredible. It's almost like a little mini movie, just these self-contained worlds, very incredible concept. It just kind of blows you away. So Mm -hmm. I definitely recommend checking that one out. You don't need to have seen any of the others in the series. They're all self-contained. Yeah, it's an anthology series. Definitely great. What about comedy, Nick? So, BoJack Horseman, (laughs) episode called Fish Out of Water, that was also very critically acclaimed all over social media and publications and stuff when it came out, notably because it is a largely, almost entirely silent episode. BoJack goes to this underwater film festival to promote (laughs) a film that he's starring in. It's just a really fascinating character exploration and, and situation to put him in, and that tells story without words. I think it's a really great lesson for writers. Like minimalistic kind of storytelling. Totally. Yeah, that's great. Very cinematic. Um, You brought up The Good Place. Well, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, half hour of the year has to go to Category 55, Doomsday Crisis from The Good Place. It was just this great look at all these flawed characters. I think The Good Place, the original premise of the show, you would assume that since it's meant to be The Good Place, a lot of those characters would not be very nuanced and very developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think the, the tour de force that The Good Place performed was really unveiling slowly but quick enough that it got viewers hooked, the past of those characters. And one of those characters... Like the comedic version of Lost. One of the people involved is Drew Goddard. That has to be... That Directed has to the count. first step, right? Yeah. Exactly. That has to count for something. Also, I believe Mike Shore also asked advice from JJ and people about Robot mm-hmm. on that story. That's so right. there's definitely a huge, huge aspect of that Lost influence in the DNA of the show. And obviously, since I'm a big Lost fan, I did love that episode that kind of took it to the next level on those flashbacks, especially. I feel like all of these are shows that have gotten a fair bit of attention, but how about some of the underappreciated shows out there that maybe some of our listeners haven't heard of? What was your favorite? Diamond in the Rough somewhere. Underrated. There's this Canadian sci-fi show called Travelers that I believe is going to air next year on Netflix in America, but currently it's on Showcase in Canada. And the basic premise is in the future, people have developed the technology to send their consciousness back in time to present day, you know, 2016 and take over someone as they're about to die. And this idea is they want to basically change the future. You know, it's the classic aspect of like, you know, sending back in time to change the future and so on. But even though the premise sounds very high concepty and too high budget for TV, it's actually very minimalistic. That's one thing I love about the show is because it's much more introspective. It's about how someone who doesn't belong in 2016 has to adapt to our day and age. And also coupled with the moral conundrum of 
having taken over someone else's life. When they send their consciousness back in time, they basically kill that person because they take over their mind. And so they both got to pretend to be that person because nobody else knows the truth. And they got to deal with the moral conundrum of being that person, having killed that person. It's just like this really brilliant look into perspective, I think, also because one example of the people they take over is this woman who is mentally challenged. And in the future, they don't necessarily have that information. All they have is this remnant of her social media presence. And they assume that she's this librarian because they saw her Facebook page or whatever. But the truth is her caretaker and her made this fake social media exercise to help her social development. They did not know that she was mentally challenged. They just thought that she was this librarian based on her social media presence. So it's kind of like this whole twisty uh, look at... Uh, our day and age. For me, I might have even plugged this once before on the show, but it's a show on Cartoon Network called We Bear Bears, which just got renewed for another season, much to my excitement. There's some stuff you can really appreciate. It's a very well-written sitcom. There's some great voice talent in there. Dmitry Martin is a comedian. Uh, Jason Lee, who you know from your My Name is Earl and all the Kevin Smith movies and stuff. I think one of the things it does really well, too, is representation. Basically, there's these three brothers who are bears. One is a polar bear, one is a grizzly bear, and one is a, a black bear or something. I can't remember now. And they're best friends with this young Korean girl and her family and stuff. And they just kind of like live in the woods and get into shenanigans. But the creator is an Asian-American man called Daniel Chong. I think he was an animator for a while. Even just in the background characters, there is a real active effort to include representation of Muslim people and people of color and all that kind of thing. It's not just a whitewashed world which is fantastic we bear bears not to be confused with bear beat spell star galactica from the office no I, nick i don't know what that is you don't know that reference oh my no. god <laughs> wow wow so many i told you i like the british office not the american office. so many listeners are going to send hate mail to, uh, to your inbox <laughs> <laughs> moving away from visual mediums what about like a favorite album from music or spoken word or whatever you want <laughs> spoken word hillary clinton has a grammy from spoken word wow that is true that's wow. true that uh, just blew my mind well, I have two favorite albums. One is, I have to mention the Hamilton mixtape, which came out a few weeks ago. I'm just loving some of those covers. I so love, good. since I'm an immigrant, the song Immigrants We Get the Job Done is probably one of my favorite songs of mm -hmm. this entire year. And then also, since I saw them in concert recently, I have to mention Conscious by Broods, which is kind of this indie alternative music. If you haven't heard of Broods, you have now. You should look up Conscious by Broods. I think it's one of the best albums of the year. For me, I discovered this artist called Julian Baker, mm -hmm. and she is very young, like 20 years old or something. And her first album just came out, Sprained Ankle. And two of my favorite artists are Jeff Buckley and Elliot Smith. I feel like she really channels mm -hmm. those kind of vibes. Very soulful, very singer-songwriter, very bare, minimalistic, electric guitar, reverb, and her voice. And it's incredible. I think you should definitely check it out. She's, I've listened to it on repeat many times. She's from Tennessee, right? Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, I believe she's gay as well, and so that's a lot of her stuff is coming from her perspective of growing up in a red state as that you know person with that identity and then struggling with that and her album is sprained ankle which i feel is very relevant to my current situation <laughs> moving back to the screen favorite movie this year alex well moonlight i have to say moonlight moonlight is one of the most original movies i feel this past year just this non-linear storytelling this look into the life of this gay black man through three periods of his life in america i thought it was very poignant i love love the color scheme oh it's masterfully directed uh, it's like deep truly, cinematography truly beautiful yeah that has to be one of my favorite movies of the year Although I'm sure someone on this podcast will mention another movie soon called Arrival. But I will say that I haven't seen Arrival. And I feel like if I had seen it before this podcast, I probably would have mentioned Arrival just because the script Story of Your Life by Eric Heiser 
is one of my favorite scripts of all time. So I look forward to seeing Arrival. Yeah, that had been floating around for a few years before it got made and developed some fans in the industry. And it did get made this year, or at least this year, I should say. And it's incredible. I have seen Arrival, and that's the one I'm choosing for my favorite movie of the year. It's just so fresh. It's like a very intelligent sci-fi did not follow the typical story beats you would have expected. Spoiler alert, you know, at no point is it an independent stay type film where everyone gets into a firefight and they're, oh no, we're going to save the world from aliens. It's a very different mm-hmm. approach. Fun fact, Eric Kaiser bought me a drink at Comic-Con a couple of years ago. So I oh, really? claim that the writer of uh, Arrival bought me a drink. Very cool. The, he also the, did Lights Out this year, which was yes. another fun, very smart horror movie. Horror movie so. yeah. And I also just last night saw La La Land and it's super fun, super sweet. If anyone lives in L.A. or is just familiar with L.A., it's like a little, very much an L.A. love story. And you will laugh, you will maybe cry. And the music's really good fun, too. And Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, amazing on-screen chemistry, really killed it. Cool. What about uh, the written words, the written form books? Any favorite books this past year? I regret to say that I find very little time to read traditional kind of like novels and stuff, given that I'm often reading so many screenplays and watching TV and consuming movies and all that kind of thing. But I do love graphic novels and comics. And one that I read for the first time this year that I'd heard so much about is called Bitch Planet by Kelly Sue DeConnick. So cool. Very, again, a unique world obviously a very feminist agenda which is awesome a cool allegory i guess for today's society and things like that yeah i've heard really good things about it to go to meltdown comics right down the street to get it that's where i got mine your favorite book alex well my favorite book is nonfiction. it's a book called sprint not to be confused with the phone provider sprint this is (laughs) (laughs) i I really loved reading their terms and conditions of service (laughs) this year on my phone it was awesome the whole title of sprint is sprint how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days and the premise of the book is these guys from google ventures talk about their own five-day brainstorming process for solving tough problems and brainstorming issues from google or other companies like bluebell coffee and, and different other companies and fun fact, we actually used one of their practices to come up with the name for this podcast, Paper Team. Oh, uh, is that where that came from? Yeah, that is the name of our podcast. This is called the Nick Watson Show. <laughs> In the book, they do mention this idea of how to brainstorm brand names and relevant brand names for your company. And so Paper Team was one of those that was outcome. It's book. the best we could do. We're sorry. Yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry to the WGA who frowns upon the concept of Paper mm-hmm. Team, especially speaking of paper team mm-hmm. do you have a favorite paper team episode from this year to be self-indulgent uh, for a minute wow what was that greatest episode good question well i do love talking about tv and hearing people talk about tv so I'll especially have to, himself him, himself <laughs> myself you mean yes you love hearing uh, yourself. yourself talk about tv yeah so it has to be from this episode we did called the impact of tv i think it's one of our most underrated episode Who's rating uh, them though? <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I mean, um, by what you, metric? By, by the metric of iTunes. I think we, oh, only, I we only have 16 reviews that give us five out of five stars. Right now, our podcast is rated five stars out of five. So I still feel it's slightly underrated, <laughs> just a tad. Becoming an American citizen has gotten to your head. So. <laughs> 
Definitely. It's egotism. Uh, anyway. How about you? Speaking of. For me, I still just love the episode where we brought my writing partner Kelly in and Francesca Butler, and we got them to talk about their experiences of being diverse writers in a writer's room and in the industry. They offered such interesting, unique perspectives that I think people don't consider enough and that we as white men don't really live and understand properly. So I liked the fact that we actually shut up and didn't talk much and just let them talk. So yeah, I would recommend that one if anyone hasn't caught that. It's a great episode. And the whole point of this podcast is really to share information and share tools. So are there any interesting resources that we gave on this podcast or just in general that you feel are very relevant to this year? I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, not mm-hmm. just ours. No, wait, what? <laughs> and so I think one of the ones that I've found the most useful and the highest quality in terms of screenwriting is the Writers Guild Foundation podcast. They bring in people for panels. You can actually go to these physical panels too as well if you can wrangle yourself an invite, but they always record them. Sometimes there are issues with quality, mm-hmm. but the content is always great. They have great guests. They offer awesome insights. I don't think I've listened to a bad episode of the WGF podcast yet, so check that one out. That's awesome. My favorite resource that we gave on this podcast or that I gave was a physical product called the Time Timer. And as the name implies... What does it time? What is it <laughs> time? The clock. It, it times clock. It's just a visual timer that gives you a visual idea of how much time is left. And I use it specifically for my Pomodoro sessions of small increments of work sandwiched between five minutes of breaks and so on. And it's a really useful, pragmatic way of measuring time and measuring your work. Nice. Do you have a favorite enemy of the podcast, Alex? <laughs> we have so many enemies on this podcast. Well, my favorite has to be someone I actually appreciate at least his work, some of his work, and that is Aaron Sorkin, who I think Maggie bashed. I think Nick briefly in our dialogue episode or one of our dialogue yes, mentions, the walk he and did talk. Uh, the walk and talk. Aaron Sorkin, I think, is my favorite enemy because he's actually not our enemy. He's actually our friend, right? I mean, realistically, hopefully, none of these people are our enemies. We're just having fun. Oh. And also, Aaron Sorkin did write a very inspiring letter against trump to his daughter that was published mm-hmm. i definitely recommend checking that out it will play with the heartstrings but if i have to say favorite enemy it's our classic nemesis robert mckee og uh, og enemy <laughs> i really hope that at some point he <laughs> discovers this and uh, <laughs> is briefly entertained by our existence and sends us an invite to uh, one of his seminars seminar we won't get it for free, though. We'll oh, damn. Yeah, $6,000. Uh, <laughs> well, moving along, milestones and things that you are thankful for this year. Before we get into that, I will mention briefly this tool called Your Compass. Not your as in Y-O-U-R, but your as in the your compass. And I think I'll delve into this deeper next year. But briefly, if you want to Google it and look for it, it's basically this useful booklet that I use occasionally to close out my year and begin the next. It takes a couple of hours to complete and it's a series of introspective questions talking about what you did last year, what are your best, worst moments, accomplishments, successes, failures, and so on, as well as looking ahead to the next year and planning it ahead. So Nick, let me ask you, what are some of your milestones from this past year? Well, I was very proud and excited to have done my first paid writing job in the industry along with my writing partner, Kelly. We did some writing work for Hasbro Studios for one of their shows. So that's awesome, seeing my very first paycheck as a writer. Money, money, money. (laughs) Yeah. Also, on the flip side of that, I still have a day job because this is a freelance writing thing. So I got this great job as a creative executive at a production and management company, the very supportive boss who is awesome. And I 
I've been learning a ton about the management side and the producing side. In fact, just yesterday, I'd found this feature script and I brought it to him and he liked it as well. And so we actually optioned it and I'm going to be helping or even leading to develop and produce that with him and try and get it made. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. And I also, I got glasses for the first Ooh, time. So I'm just seeing another them right now. I'm just seeing them yeah, right now. Look really are. good. Thank you. Hopefully all the podcast listeners also understand <laughs> we, how good I look in these guys. <laughs> At some point, we do need some kind of visual aid, I think, uh, photos of ourselves talking into a microphone. I think it's a very original picture. <laughs> I disagree. I think everyone should uh, just like imagine the best version of us. <laughs> that is what happens when people meet us. It's like, wait, oh, you're that person? I did not Ew. imagine that. Yes. that <laughs> For me, my biggest accomplishment this year has to be that I finally became, after all these years, an American citizen. USA. USA. Really just in time. I think this year was the best of times to become an American citizen, wasn't it, Nick? Before, I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Just before. Well, I mean, you're going to get deported pretty soon. Yeah, so don't, God, don't worry about not. it. Don't worry about it. But the other thing I had to obviously mention, uh, hold on, I have a single TMI because I'm just remembering. I had a lot of the, single tears this year. The, the, well, I mean, that is one of my greatest accomplishments. <laughs> I have to mention, I have to mention, obviously, I'd be remiss not to mention Paper Team as one of our greatest accomplishments this year. Well, yeah, I, guess I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you, wow, wow. Ah. Uh. No, I think, yeah, we are, we are proud of this podcast. I think that we've been enjoying doing it and we've had some good reactions from people. Obviously, we would love to get it more out there as well, more people listening and giving us feedback and thoughts. Yeah, we've had so many ups, so many downs also every time they came, did not come on time. <laughs> Which is literally every time, guys. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Let's look at kind of our statistics. I'm curious. Look at the breakdown of our past 25 shows. It's been that many it's already. 25 shows. It's, wow. all, it's been since early August, so five months of work. 25th show, 25th right in time for Christmas, Christmas the 25th yay. of December. Wow. It is not a coincidence, or is it? <laughs> all right, Nick, I'm going to ask you some stat-based questions, and I do want answers to okay. see if you really know our listeners, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So first off, maybe you already know this or don't because you occasionally look at stats, but mm -hmm. how many downloads do you think we've had since August? I feel like the last time I looked at it, it was 3,000, so I'm going to take a wild stab and and say maybe five or six thousand it is actually nearly nine thousand oh downloads God. it's over nine thousand <laughs> over our past 24 episodes that's cool um, so that's like what nearly 350 plus average downloads per episode that's wow. pretty decent yeah we're doing okay um all right now let me ask you this mm -hmm. how do you think people listen to our podcast is it a mobile apps B, web browsers, or C, podcatchers, which are apps designed just for podcasting? Ooh, I'm going to say D, spying on us through the walls of your apartment. But no. that, that is a whopping 75% <laughs> of our audience. No, if I had to guess out of those, iTunes? I, well, I mean, iTunes, iTunes, is. iTunes is more on the platform side. I mean, it is sort of that. It's actually a mobile application uh, with uh, over 30%. So uh, like the podcast app on iPhone or like... You know, yeah, so basically specific mobile applications designed for podcasting. What's that? Android app? I keep forgetting. Oh, uh, Pocket Cast? Pocket Cast, I think is part of it. Oh, now, yeah, I used to use that one. Speaking of uh, iTunes, what do you think is the most popular platform? Is it iOS, Windows, Android? Mm, it's got to be iOS, right? It is a whopping 45% in favor of iOS. Ooh. Nearly one in two of our listeners are iOS users. Which brings us to our final tech-related question. What do you think is the most popular client? Now, let me list you. Is it Chrome Podcast for iOS or Pocket Cast? Chrome. 
It is Chrome. Ooh. The desktop. What do I win? The desktop iOS. You win the privilege of staying on this podcast. Yay. With 25% of our audience. 25% of our audience are streaming exclusively a podcast. Paperteam.co. How great is that? Wow. Put some more advertising out there. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> uh, sponsored by Chrome, by Google. Now, final questions on our listener side. Where in the world are our Carmen San Diego listeners from? I want to break down by percentage. Let me ask you this. In the world, obviously, the U.S. is number one. Okay. But by how much? Oh, as a percentage? As a percentage. What do you think is the breakdown? 60%. So I forgot to do the math. Let me do the math right now. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It is actually 84%. Oh, boy. 84% of listeners. American exceptionalism. Number two, is it Australia or Canada? It's a tough question. I feel like I've definitely spooked it to some Australians. But it's Canada. Is it Canada? It is not. It's Australia. Oh, yes. By 180 downloads. Oi, oi, oi. That's our USA chant. It's Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. That's our, like, you know, national patriotism chant. Marvelous. Please never do that again. Now, digging into the U.S., obviously, California is our number one state. Of course. But by how much? 75% of people. Wow, 75%? And the answer is 46%. Oh, wow. Now, fun fact. There's a full 1,400 downloads that are, quote, unknown. <laughs> unknown? What does unknown. that mean? Like Unknown state. We cannot track. Maybe good for you. secret state? A secret 51st. Atlantis? <laughs> People downloading from Atlantis. From down under? Is that the down under you speak of? <laughs> What's next after California? What's New next York? after California? Yeah, New York is number two. Texas is number three. Ooh. Florida is number four. Virginia, five. Illinois, six. Pennsylvania, seven. So the population centers, basically. <laughs> <laughs> basically. <laughs> I think that is fairly accurate. Is it a coincidence? I think not. <laughs> nice. Well, that's fun. That's fun to know those things. We do want to thank a couple of the fans of this podcast who have come up to us in the real world, and we didn't know them before, and said that, hey, you're that guy. <laughs> you know, We, we listened to guy. your podcast. There was Lauren, who I met at the Austin Film Festival, mm-hmm. which was there, awesome. There was Megan, who I met recently at the GHRTS Holiday Party 2016. Whoop. And also a couple other people, Marissa and Chineza, who I met at Fancy Mixers. I think Marisa. 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 Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Marisa. Who you met also at AFF, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Small world. All the good places. Also, we want to thank every single reviewer that has ever reviewed us. That is how it works. Even the bad one. Even the bad one. Thank you for taking your time. Singular. We're serious. Thank you. Yeah, we're still three out of five for our most negative review, which is pretty decent. Now, before we leave, since this is the season of sharing and giving, and we've already shared so much about ourselves in this podcast, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it really is time to end this wonderful year, uh, or horrible year for some people, (laughs) on on some giving. 80% Uh, horrible, 20% wonderful. Basically. Let's have our very own gift exchange. And coincidentally, it also happens to be within our mutual birthdays, right? When are you born? The 16th of December. And I'm the 20th. And this podcast comes out on the 19th. So it's right in between our mutual birthdays. Nice. All right. Let's give our little gifts. So I got this fancy, you can hear the wrapping paper. This is real. I have it wrapped. Okay. Uh, Should I give you yours as well at the same time? You want me to open uh, it and then give you yours? Yeah. Open first uh, my my awesome Opening the present from Alex Friedman, the Alex Friedman of Paper Team Podcasts and TV Calling. It's really wonderful noise, isn't it? Wonderful sound. Ooh. We're sorry to whoever's editing this. 
<laughs> All right, can you describe what you just got? Okay, uh, it's a big note that says, I hope you die. No. Whoa. No, it is actually the authorized Home Alone coloring book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we got Kevin on the front there. We got the robbers. One of them's head is on fire. The other one has an iron imprint in his face. Now, the thing is, early on this podcast, I mentioned that I watch every Christmas Home Alone, and you mentioned that you watch Die Hard every year. Now, Correct. I did not know this before this podcast. Otherwise, I would have bought the Die Hard authorized coloring book. <laughs> is there one? There is one. Oh, was, my God. It was actually between Home Alone and Die Hard. Next and year, I wasn't Alex. sure. I was <laughs> next year. Next year. Now, what is the second gift I got you? Because I got you <laughs> the second one is a waterproof notepad. There's a picture on the front of a notepad stuck onto the wall of a shower with suction cups. <laughs> and there's a hand crudely photoshopped in <laughs> drawing on this notepad with pencil underneath the head of a shower that's running. We've said many times in this podcast that you should always be able to write and willing to write. And it should not be about the muse striking you. But sometimes the muse does strike you in the shower of all places. Mm-hmm. So now you won't be uh, i will never be unprepared. unprepared or i can like write in the one day a year that it rains in la i can just take this down the street uh for for about 30 seconds that it's raining it's waterproof and, yeah fantastic that's Amazing. really cool thank you very much alex you're welcome so right i'm gonna tell you guys the truth oh i ordered this gift for alex off of amazon i signed up for amazon prime to get it within two days as well as the other great benefits that come with that and it said that it was going to arrive in like two weeks. Oh my God. I have no idea why. I literally, it says it's going to deliver on like the 13th of December or something. So I will give you the, the real thing next week. But what I've done in the meantime is printed out a picture of this gift. Hold so, on, let, let, me, let me unwrap using my own <laughs> wrapping. Uh-huh. Ooh. What is this? All, All right. right so see. this is what you, this is a visualization of what you'll be receiving. <laughs> Please imagine <laughs> that it is the real imagine. thing in your hands. Here you go. Turn, turn that open. piece of paper right. around. Or Turning it. it. Okay. Oh my god. I hate you so much, Nick. <laughs> it is a t-shirt that says, French people are so hardcore, we eat pain, pain for breakfast. <laughs> wow, this is really more of a visual pun. Like it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's pain with a huge baguette on the t-shirt, really. I, I wow. wanted to get you a beret and a striped shirt too, but I didn't. I couldn't find it. Well, I mean, the thing is, I already own those. Well, of course. <laughs> so there you go. So yes, the, the, wow. the joke there, if we would like to over-explain it, is that the French word for bread is spelled P-A-I-N. Pain. Pain. I'll be wearing this on the next recording of, <laughs> of Paper Excellent. You'll all see pain, that then. Pain per team. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. You are welcome. Hopefully it will actually arrive. <laughs> Hopefully. Before next year. Yeah. So if anyone wants to send us gifts... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, please do, actually. Email uh, them, too. No. But that does actually bring us to the end of our episodes. And the year. And the year. Merry holidays to everyone. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us, as always. You can find the show notes for this episode, which is a new thing we're finally telling you about. It's always been there, but now we're telling you. <laughs> for sure. uh, the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co, that's CR, slash 25. Because it is episode number 25. As always, you can leave us awesome reviews at paperteam.co slash iTunes. You can only leave awesome reviews. Only awesome <laughs> reviews, yeah. And if they're really awesome or really terrible, we're going to be reading them on the podcast. If you want us. Otherwise, we won't. And yes. as always, I'm on the Twitterverse at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. 
If you have any thoughts, feedback, uh, gifts you would like to send us, please email us at ask at paperteam.co. That is CO, as always, ask at paperteam.co. Yes, email your gifts to us. <laughs> email your gifts to us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it could be like an Amazon gift card. Oh, well, that'd be um, sweet. And there's actually no show next week or the next week because, as you may know, it is Christmas and New Year's Eve coming up. So we will see you on Monday, January 9th, 2017. Have a very happy holiday season to all of our lovely listeners. See you then. Goodbye.